0: work on the cross is finished and done. The gift of salvation for all that is free. God gave us mercy to you and me. I've been saved. I've been saved, yeah, by the grace of God and i found words less than man should be On the cross is finished and done The gift of salvation For all that is free God gave us mercy To you and me I've been saved I've been saved yeah, By the grace of God And not by works Lest any man should be by words lest any man shouldn't boast I've say
1: Alright, uh, thanks uh, Trent for doing the slides and uh, good evening. Could you, t- uh, could you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter f- 15, verse 7 please. Romans fifteen seven. 7. Alright, uh, what we're going to see here uh, this, uh, this evening, we're going to uh, continue our study of Romans uh, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. They, these two verses go together. because they're connected together syntactically and grammatically in the original. So they go together and they present to us two purposes for Christ becoming, the Son of God becoming a man, dying on the cross and rising from the dead. We're finding out that on Sunday we found out in this particular passage that the Son became a man, he died for the sins of the world, rose from the dead, so that in order to fulfill the promises... ...to the patriarchs and demonstrating God the Father's faithfulness... ...to the promises of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And as a result of that, as an offshoot of that... because uh, ...we see that the Gentiles will glorify God because of what Christ did. Now, I say it's an offshoot of that first purpose... ...in that the promises that were given to the patriarchs... ...and we study this in, in the book of Genesis with the Abrahamic covenant... ...that these promises to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob... Were, had included universal promises. Remember, we'll go there again this evening. In Genesis 12, there were personal promises given to Abraham that he would receive a son. That was Isaac. That was fulfilled. That a great nation would come from him. That would be the nation of Israel. And, uh, and then also, we saw there were universal promises where God says to Abraham, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And of course, he develops that promise Uh, Those promises later on, and tells uh, Abraham specifically that one of your descendants, who ends up being Jesus Christ, would be the person who would bring salvation to the Gentiles and fulfill that promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this is, uh, we're going to see that uh, this is being fulfilled in history. We're actually a fulfillment of these promises that God, because we're Gentiles and we become born again and saved and now we glorify the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ worship Him, sing our praise to them, and give our thanksgiving to them. And these things are a fulfillment a of pro- a prophecy in the Old Testament. So this is what we'll be seeing here this evening. We're going to study, uh, continue our study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9. And that passage teaches us that Christ is a servant to the circumcision, i.e. the Jews, because of the Father's faithfulness. And then the first of these two purposes of Christ becoming a man and dying for the sins of the world and rising from the dead was to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that, consequently, that the Gentiles might glorify the Father because of his grace. So that will be our subject here this evening. We got a lot of cool stuff to cover. So without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. And I know you guys in front of me know what I'm talking about, what we do at this time. But for those who might be visiting the website and hearing this class or viewing it or pop in on Pal Talk, ...and have never been exposed to the teaching in this ministry... This is, a, we take this, few, it's, ...this is what I'm about to say is for them... ...so we're going to take a few moments of silent prayer... ...with our heads bowed and our eyes closed... ...so we could have privacy in our very own royal priesthood... ...to confess any known sins to the Father... ...if necessary apply First 1 John 1, 1.9... ...which states if we confess our sins to the Father... ...He God the Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins... ...with the result that He purifies us, purifies us from each and every wrongdoing even the sins that we don't know that we're committing due to ignorance of the Word of God. Now, that's John's terminology. Paul calls it in First Corinthians 11, judging the body rightly. And uh, both talk about confessing, confession of sin. And uh, Paul warned the Corinthians that if they don't do that, that they could be, they'll be under discipline. In fact, there were some in Corinth that died the sin of the death because they didn't confess their sins. So, for those out there who don't think they can have to confess their sins that's a very important thing that you just heard so uh, we we confess that sin so we could be restored to fellowship sin doesn't affect our eternal relationship with god it doesn't knock us out of the family of god but it does uh, hinder our fellowship with god personal sin does so th- confession of sin judging the body rightly is absolutely essential so that we could be restored to that fellowship and then once we've been pl- restored to fellowship we need to maintain that fellowship by exercising our volitions and obeying what the spirit says to us in the Word of God, and that's uh, we talked about that that 's being filled with the spirit commanded of us in ephesians five eighteen and we talked about the mechanics of the filling of the spirit in Romans chapter five verses five and six and we're, when we 're filled with the spirit, that means we 're submitting to what the spirit 's saying to us through the teaching of the Word of God. Remember second Peter one twenty and twenty one the spirit inspired the scriptures. And John sixteen thirteen through fifteen teaches us, and one Corinthians chapter two ten through sixteen teaches us that the Spirit is making the Word of God understandable to us. So when we're obeying the uh, the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, we're actually obeying the Word of God, and vice versa. Because the Spirit inspired the Scriptures, and He speaks to us through the Scriptures. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day, another day, beautiful day here in Iowa, and we just thank you for another day of life here on planet Earth, another day, an opportunity to glorify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, to grow in your grace, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Bible and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work of your Son on the cross that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with you and your Son on the Spirit and also to have fellowship with you we thank You for the Word and the Spirit so that we can learn about Your plan for our lives to become conformed to the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we know that through the Word and the Spirit, we, we can find out about the plan of God for our lives, specifically as individuals, but also see the big picture in human history, what You're doing in human history and through the Gospel, bringing Jew and Gentile and making them new one, one new man, new humanity in Your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they might glorify You and give You praise and to uh, to uh, demonstrate your mercy and your grace. And we just thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace, your faithfulness to your promises. And we just thank you for the grace policy that we're under at this time and will be for all of, all of eternity. Thank you for giving us all these wonderful blessings that we have because of our marriage to your Son, Jesus Christ, our union and identification with Him. And we just thank you, Father, for treating us in a manner that we don't deserve and giving us all these unmerited blessings. And we pray that the Holy Spirit... Through the teaching of the Word of God, we continue to give us understanding and insight into that great power and love that has been directed toward us because of our union and identification with your Son and His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection and session at your right hand so that we too might experience this deliverance now in time and not have to wait till the the rapture, the resurrection of the church, that we might uh, appropriate by faith the teaching of the Spirit which says that we're in union with your Son so that we can experience that deliverance from sin, Satan and his cosmic system and also Father we just uh, pray this evening that you would help the communicator to impart accurately and with power and reverence and respect for the word your full counsel here this evening and we just pray that those in the audience not only those in the chapel but those who might be listening on Pal Talk or viewing or listening this class at a later date on the website or through CDs we just pray Father that the spirit would work mightily and powerfully in in and through them, speak to them individually where they're at, and speak to this church as, as a corporate unit. And we pray that as a result of this Bible class, we would continue to grow in a greater love and appreciation, Father, for your, your plan for our lives and your grace policy and all that you've done for, your, for us through your Son and the Holy Spirit. All that you've done for us in the past or doing for us now will do for us in the future. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, again, as I mentioned before, we're going to continue with our study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, which teaches that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is a servant to the circumcision, a title for the Jews, because of the Father's faithfulness, to, uh, because of the Father's faithfulness his faithfulness to the promises to the patriarchs. In order, he became a man, he died for the sins of the world, he became a servant to the Jew in order to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel." So that, consequently, another purpose was uh, fulfilled, that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of His grace. So at this particular time as we speak, that is being f- fulfilled, and as we'll see later on this evening, it will be fulfilled all the way up to, to the end of human history that Gentiles will be getting saved and glorifying God. In fact, all of eternity will be glorifying God for His grace policy. We who are Gentiles Racially. Now look at Romans 15.7 Therefore, remember what he's, we're going to see His statements in Romans 15 verses 8 and 9 Are in the context of Paul's discussion about the weak and the strong And their relationship to each other And remember again, the strong are primarily Gentiles There were some strong believers who were Jewish and Like Paul and the apostles But the, they were primarily Gentile And the Jew, uh, the, the weak were primarily Jewish and there were, of course, some Gentiles who were uh, had uh, been uh, exposed to uh, Jewish tradition that would also be considered weak. The weak thought that they were still under the law. They didn't understand the implications of their union and identification with Christ, that they're dead to the law. They thought that they were still under the ceremonial aspect of the law. And Paul taught us, taught the, the, in f- chapter 14, the strong, to operate in love toward the weak, Not using their freedom in Christ to eat all foods in the presence of the weak, so that the weak don't try to abide by their convictions and thus sin in their own mind. So, chapter fifteen, verses one through six, continue one through seven. Continue that discussion about the relationship uh, between the weak and the strong. And so, Paul's statements in verses eight and nine of chapter fifteen are illustrating, uh, or or implicitly, they're implicitly reminding the uh, the weak. Who were primarily Jewish and also the strong who were primarily Gentile, that Christ accepted both groups, both of them, and in order to fulfill, in fulfillment of, excuse me, of God's promises. So, the, the, in these statements in verses 8 and 9, as we saw on Sunday, there's an implicit reminder to both the weak and the strong, the Jew and Gentile believers in Rome, that uh, Christ became a man to fulfill the promises of God to the patriarchs of Israel. So, as we saw, Therefore, the weak have no business getting upset about the Gentiles because Christ accepted them and uh, he accepted them. And so, therefore, if Christ accepted the Gentile believers through faith in him, the Jewish believers should be accepting the Gentile believers even though the Jewish believers... Uh, the Gentile believers don't abide by the same convictions as the weaker Jewish believer, and, and the same thing with the Gentiles. Paul, as he said, as he taught us in uh, the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11, he also is implicitly reminding the Gentile Christians who were the primarily the strong, the strong believers that they were accepted because of God's faithfulness to the promises to the patriarchs to the, to the nation of Israel. So their salvation is dependent upon the Jews. As Jesus reminded the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and as Paul taught in Romans chapter 11, to, uh, to protect uh, Gentile believers from getting arrogant toward Jewish believers. So there's, Paul is working, it's interesting how he uses Christ here as an example. Christ accepted both the weak and the strong, Jew and Gentile believers, so therefore both groups, Jew and Gentile believers, should accept each other. And then he also reminds the Gentiles, your salvation is dependent upon God being faithful to the promises to the patriarchs of Israel, and he's reminding the Jewish believers that the Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. It was not something new that the Gentiles would get saved. The, The mystery that was not known in the Old Testament that Paul relates in Ephesians 3 was that the Gentile believers would be fellow heirs uh, with Jewish believers. And that was not known. That was a mystery that was not known. We studied that in Ephesians chapter 3. However, salvation to the Gentiles was predicted. And it was predicted all the way back to Abraham. And Abraham got promises. As I noted earlier before our opening prayer. Uh, Abraham received promises. Personal, his national and universal promises. And the universal promises said that salvation would come. ...through a descendant of his... ...who turned out to be Jesus Christ. So, look at Romans 15, 7... ...therefore accept one another... ...just as or as we saw it's the causal there... ...kathos is the conjunction... ...because Christ also accepted us. Then it says to the glory of God... ...as we saw that prepositional phrase... ...the purpose clause to the glory of God... ...is related to the command. And we know that because... ...he, uh, he says accept one another. Why? Because Christ accepted us... Accepting one another will result in bringing glory to God And they have to operate in love toward each other In order to bring glory to God And bringing glory to God in this context means By operating in love toward each other The weak and the strong They would be manifesting the attribute of God's love By operating in that love and accepting one another They're glorifying God They're manifesting an attribute of God That's resident in his divine essence Now uh, we, he, so therefore he says Accept one another Because Christ also accepted us So if Christ accepted both groups The weak and the strong Jew and Gentile believers Therefore both groups should accept each other Then he says This is to the glory of God That they accept one another Then in verse 8 as we saw on Sunday He's going to explain the statement Because Christ also accepted us He's going to explain that statement In verses 8 and 9 so it's a little bit interesting uh, grammatically and syntactically. It's a little bit. It's a very clever way that Paul's uh, a clever thing he's doing here. You can't see it in the English, but in the original in the Greek, he's actually uh, using. Uh, keep this, the syntax here is awkward in the original, and it manifests itself here in the English because he's trying to maintain an argument, as I saw, told you Sunday, an argument that he began in Romans one sixteen. And continue to present all and continues to present all the way up to Romans fifteen, thirteen. The argument is that God is trying to create a new humanity through his son Jesus Christ, the God man. A new humanity composed of both Jew and Gentiles. There's no there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither Jew or Gentile in Christ. They're equal in Christ. That. Was an astounding thing in back in Jewish society. It got Paul persecuted and got Christians persecuted because they thought it was an attack on the law and also on the uh, on the and it was against uh, uh, Israeli nationalism and patriotism. But because there was such animosity toward the Gentiles. And there ought not, that had, ought not have been the case because the Gentiles were predicted in the Old Test, their own Old Testament scriptures that Gentiles would get saved. And that God had actually wanted the, the, the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests to present the gospel to the nations of the world. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Just like the church is doing that now, God had chosen a nation. He's only done it to one nation in history, not the United States, not Rome, not Babylon, there's truly only been one theocracy in the, wor- in the history of the world, and that's and there'll always be one, is Israel. That's what they were designed for. And they failed miserably in that. And that manifested in their attitude toward the Gentiles in Jesus' day, and the Apostles' day. And the Apostles manifested this bigotry toward the Gentiles that they would never even go into the home of a Gentile, a Jewish person. They would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. In fact, they called them dogs. So there was a great racial bigotry uh, at that time between the Jews and the Gentiles, and so therefore the gospel broke down those that racial bigotry. It broke down that barrier. Christ's death broke down that barrier between Jew and Gentile, and so we're going to probably see that in Ephesians chapter two again this evening. So he says in verse eight. Verse eight is now going to. Uh, verses eight and nine are going to desc- uh, explain. Uh, that statement at the end of verse 7, Christ also accepted us. So look at verse 8, for I say, or I affirm as we saw Sunday, it's a stronger, uh, should it should be translated I affirm rather than an I say because the verb is, very, uh, is much stronger. I affirm that Christ, it's expressing Paul's conviction here, that's based upon Old Testament scripture. For I affirm that Christ has become, or we could translate it, is serving, the circumcision. The circumcision is a title for the Jews. On behalf of the truth of God, He did this, or so in fulfillment of, of because of God's faithfulness. On behalf of the truth of God, as we saw, could be translated because of God's faithfulness. Truth there is as uh, is unfortunate translation. It's actually talking about God's faithfulness. It's talking about His trustworthiness, His reliability, His His um, he, that He is faithful to His promises. So He says, because of the faithfulness of God, He did this he's a servant of the Jews, in order to confirm or fulfill the promises given to the fathers. The fathers are speaking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises that God gave to them, which we studied in the book of Genesis. Then he says in verse 9, that statement, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy... ...is connected, it's another purpose clause... ...it gives us another reason why Christ is a servant to the Jews... ...because of the faithfulness of God. The first purpose, to fulfill the promises to the patriarchs. The second, and for the Gentiles that glorify God for His mercy... ...or we could say because of His grace. And then he, to back that up, he quotes Scripture. And he quotes Scripture in verses at the end of verse 9, verse 10... ...verse 11 and verse 12 to demonstrate this particular statement that Gentile believers will worship the Lord along with Jewish believers. So then he says, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. This is Jesus talking to the Father, that he's going to give praise to the Father among the Gentiles. And I will sing to your name. So there it's telling us, that as we're going to see on Sunday, is that Jesus Christ sang, sings, and will sing in the millennial reign. Now look what it goes on to say in verse 10. And again he says. Rejoice O Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples praise him. And again Isaiah says. There shall come the root of Jesse. That means it's referring to Jesus Christ. And it's de- it's uh, telling us. That he's a descendant of King David. Whose father was Jesse. And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles Possess confidence Or have, they have their confidence in So right there In those verses He's quoting From the different areas of the law As we studied The, uh, the law, the prophets and the writings The threefold division That the Jews have of their scriptures And uh, he does that To demonstrate to his Primarily his Jewish readers Who are believers That God has included the Gentiles In the plan of salvation It's in your Old Testament scriptures Right there I just quoted for you and therefore, why does he want to do that? To tell the Jewish believers who are primarily weak that you've got to accept the stronger uh, the Gentile believers who Paul calls strong, and he, who's a Jew, born again and saved, includes them, includes himself with those people, the strong. So they should accept one another. So he's trying to deal with racial bigotry here. Why is there racial bigotry? Because of the sin nature, and we live in the devil's world. So there's no place in the plan of God. For racial bigotry And that's what Paul was dealing with In the first century The apostles They were actually As Jewish believers Jesus Christ of course Had no racial bigotry But the apostles did Including Paul And uh, all the apostles did They had this racial bigotry They were brought up In a Jewish society That was antagonistic To the Gentiles And especially since Rome occupied Judea They really resented that If you understand history And have read anything on history That's my job Is to read Not only the Uh, I have to interpret this in its historical context, there was a tremendous uh, animosity toward the Roman occupation of the nation of Israel, Judea. In fact, Judea, Israel, was a third-rate Roman province. And uh, so this was a great bitterness toward the Gentiles, Romans were Gentile, So this Gentile occupation was driving the Jews crazy. That's one of the reasons why they were disappointed about Jesus of Nazareth. They were expecting him to be a political Messiah, and eventually he is going to be. He's going to rule this earth, as we've seen in our Millennial Reign study in the Day of the Lord series. So uh, we see, but they didn't see that their need for salvation and Christ had to do that first. He couldn't put the cart before the horse. He had to provide salvation, and then he would fulfill the promises. Uh, to be the the Messiah and have a millennial reign literally on planet earth. So, look at what it says again in verse 8. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision because of the faithfulness of God in order to confirm the promises given to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you could throw David in there if you want. And Jeremiah, the new covenant, the Davidic covenant. And or so that the Gentiles glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you, give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name Now that phrase that statement, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy, is a direct consequence of the previous statement in Romans fifteen eight that indicates to us that the second purpose of Christ being a servant to the Jews is a direct consequence or result of Christ fulfilling the first purpose, and fulfilling the promises to Israel's patriarchs. Again, by fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs, by Christ fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs, he was also uh, fulfilling the second purpose, that the, the Gentiles would glorify God. How so? Because the promises of the patriarchs had made the stipulation that their salvation would be provided for the Gentiles. Now... By fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs of Israel, Christ provided the Gentiles the opportunity to experience eternal salvation through faith in him because the promises to the patriarchs included blessings for the Gentiles and not just Israel. Therefore, Paul is saying that Christ welcomed the weak and the strong because he's a servant to the Jews, because of God's faithfulness, in order to fulfill the Father's promises to the patriarchs. Thus, consequently, A second purpose was fulfilled, namely that the Gentiles would glorify God the Father. This is what we see. Now, I want to go, let's take a little bit, uh, cruise back. We did a little bit uh, Sunday, but go to Genesis again. Go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, please. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. If there's, any, if there's any... and We studied this quite a bit in Genesis. We studied it in our Day of the Lord series. It's very important that we understand the Abrahamic covenant. It's very important. Because the promises that God gave to Abraham, that he enlarged, that he enlarged upon and expanded upon later on with Abraham. He, right now we have the seed plot in Genesis 12. He expands on these promises. He actually reconfirms the promises that he made to Abraham with his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who later had his name changed to Israel. He was also reconfirmed to Moses. And so this was this was something that was very important and this covenant definitely we are beneficiaries of. The covenants weren't given to the church. They weren't given to the Gentiles. As we saw in Romans 9, they were given to the Jews. However the Jews, the, these promises that were given to the Jews, also told the Jews that Gentiles would be provided salvation. And so this is very, very important that we understand the Abrahamic covenant and we, we study it quite extensively in the book of Genesis. And go to our Genesis series, download the articles, listen to the stuff uh, that uh, we recorded Every uh, over 300 hours. There's a ton of stuff in that particular study. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, This was his name before he got a change to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means a father of multitude nations. That wasn't until chapter 17 that he got his name changed. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. That was Ur of the Chaldeans in southern Iraq. And go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. He left his family and friends to go follow God's plan for his life. He moved. He actually probably went about, definitely over a thousand miles. He went quite a ways, probably twelve hundred miles. I have to look at my on my map. I had it figured out, but he went quite a ways, and he didn't know where he was going. So that tells you his faithfulness, and, and that that tells you of his faith. He trusted God so much that he was willing to leave behind everything that was near and dear to him, including his family and friends. That was faith. That's faith, and he left. And that tells you something too. And we studied this in Genesis. Sometimes. And God asks us to do things that we, to to trust in him. And he asks us to do things that may sound crazy to the people around you. But to God, sometimes God asks us to do things that are totally unorthodox. And this is what he was doing with Abraham. So he says, I'm going to go forth from your, your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. That was fulfilled in history with the nation of Israel. In fact, he was actually, um, Arab nations, two groups of Arabs came out of Abraham. Remember, he had Hagar, uh, he, he went into her. had Ishmael, one group of the Arabs came from him. Then after Sarah died, he went with Keturah. And Keturah was an Arab, and another group of Arabs was started through Keturah. She had six boys through Abraham. This Abraham was an old man when he had those six boys. So he was... Uh, he was uh, uh, what do you call that? He was uh, fecundity, I think they call that. You can look that up in the dictionary. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. It's great, as we've seen, where the three groups, Christians, Arabs, and Jews, all revere the name of Abraham. And then it says, So you shall be a blessing. It's a command in the Hebrew. It means be a blessing. And then look what he says. And I will bless those who bless you. And, I, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. The nations of the earth, Gentiles. He's the first Jew. Look at, go now to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. This was after the, uh, the attempted sacrifice of Isaac. God stopped it. God asked him to do it, to, de- to test Abraham's love and obedience and faith. Would he put Isaac, his son, his beloved son, ahead of his obe- obedience to the Lord and his love for the Lord? And of course, Abraham passed with flying colors and then God developed more of the promises in the, this covenant that God made with Abraham. In your seed, in your seed, it's in the singular. We'll go to Galatians in a minute, we did it Sunday. We'll see that Christ is that seed. Seed means a descendant. In your descendant, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice now go to uh no uh, go to galatians yeah go look go to galatians chapter 3 please galatians chapter 3 verse 7 Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. In a spiritual sense, because faith is involved there. See, the Jews thought that they were were racially related to Abraham, of course. He's their progenitor. But spiritually, they weren't related to Abraham. So he's saying there that whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you trust in Christ, he's your spiritual father. We studied that in Romans 4. Therefore... Verse 7, Galatians 3, 7, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, the scripture foreseeing, the Old Testament scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, quoting Genesis twelve three, that's why it's capitalized in some of your Bibles all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Demanded perfect obedience to the law. If you didn't do that, you were condemned. Verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law, law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the, it. it he says, However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because we couldn't keep it perfectly. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, quoting Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three: Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The cross, he's, it's speaking of. In order that, why? That in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, verse 15, he says, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as referring to many, plural, but rather to one and to your seed. And he tells us who it is. That is... Christ. So, we see there that, uh, and the, that uh, the promises given to Abraham, Christ fulfilled the pa- promises to the patriarchs and those promises included not only blessing to the Jews but also blessing for the Gentiles. I want to show you Ephesians. You're in Galatians. Just uh, bump over a couple of books. Uh, one book, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Ephesians 2, 11. Now, the Ephesian church was Gentile, primarily, the majority. Now, look what he says in Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, a title for the Jews, just like Paul's using in Romans chapter 15, verse uh, uh, verse 8. So he says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time, prior to salvation, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the providence of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who formerly were far off from God, in a spiritual sense, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. Now he's talking in the peace of not reconciling God to man, but peace between Jew and Gentile. That's often overlooked by some people. If you look at what he's talking about, he's trying to show that there's peace between the two groups because of Christ's death. Did Christ reconcile us to God? Yeah, but that's not what he's emphasizing here. He's emphasizing that Christ reconciled Jew and Gentile together. For he himself is our peace who made both groups, what? What groups? Jew and Gentile into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, his human nature, the enmity. Christ's human nature, he abolished the enmity. We couldn't keep the law. Look at what he says. Which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man or new humanity we could call it. Thus establishing peace. and might, between, between who? Between the two groups. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. He's quoting Isaiah 57, 19. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you were no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, their teaching, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, his teaching is, and himself, in whom the whole building, the spiritual house that God is making between both Jewish and Gentile believers in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. God wants to dwell with, in, um, in men, among men, and it's not going to be into just the temple now, it's in, in human, human beings, or human beings themselves with the indwelling of the Trinity. In whom, verse 22, you also were being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit or by means of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Now go back to Romans chapter 15, please. And look at verse 8. So this, was, this whole idea of Jew and Gentile believers being one new humanity because of their union and identification with Christ, their faith in Him, was very important to Paul because God... Remember, Paul understood the big picture. And this has, this has a very big um, message to our church... And to the church throughout the world. That it, it's a call for evangelism. It's calling for us to support those who are getting the gospel out. To do whatever we can to help those who uh, have uh, who are getting the gospel out. Those evangelists. And do whatever we can as a ministry to get the gospel out. Not just in our own geographical location. But throughout the world. Because God's plan is he wants both Jew and Gentiles to worship him. And we're entering into that work. What we're doing in this ministry is a part of that work. There is nothing more important that you're doing in life than what you're doing for this ministry. Okay? Your job is not more important than what this ministry is doing. Or any ministry is doing. If it's doing what God wants us to do. Which is to get the gospel out. Because gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Greek, the Gentile. That is God's plan. You couldn't ask, and to be a part of a ministry that's doing that, what a great honor and a privilege to have that. And yet the sad tragedy is believers, too many believers, just don't get it. And they think that their own personal things are more important than the things of God and God's plan. Take a lesson from Abraham, who didn't let any family members or his own beloved son take him away from the father's plan. Just imagine if Abraham did that. Where, where would we be? Of course, God would have somebody already prepared. but Abraham sets an example for us. and our mission here, the reason why we're here, as individuals and I've said this a million times as individuals to become like Christ, Romans 8:28, Ephesians 4:11 through16, Second Peter 3:16, and also as a corporate unit to proclaim the gospel. And as we get further into chapter 15, we're really going to learn a lot about Paul and what his attitude to it was toward human history, what God was doing in the world. He cared very much about it and he was a part of it. And my prayer is that the people in this church would become more active in that because they are, if we became, if we had more, um, drive and we had more, um, you know, de- devotion and dedication to the plan of God and put more of our time and effort into it, into this ministry, who, who knows what we could do? Because, the, the, you know, the Lord, all He needs is a remnant. Throughout history, He's proven that. Through churches throughout history, He's proven that. Doesn't need a, a massive army. But what if we had... Everybody functioning Everybody functioning in their spiritual gift. Everybody giving of their time, talent and treasure and praying for this ministry. What would we do if people, were, everybody was dedicated to that? To the cause of Christ? What great things we could do? We could do. Because the Spirit... It all, let me tell you something. It's about availability. Make yourself available. And you can't do that if you're in love with the things of the world or you're in your own little agenda. You think that... It's more important that I go pursue a relationship with the opposite sex or I just do everything, I'm just going to make my lawn look so wonderful and beautiful or dancing with the stars or television or sports is more important. You're living in a fantasy land, you bought the lie. Nothing is more important than what this ministry is doing. It's not because I'm here, it's because of what God has told us to do here. And what God has asked us to do here, commanded us to do in here, is to proclaim the gospel. That's where it's all about. And as soon as we get that, the better off we will be. See, God will do great things through us, in and through us, but if we have to make ourselves available. And we can't, we got to be brutally honest with ourselves and, 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 and ask ourselves, are we loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because I don't think everybody can say that. I don't. Now look at what it says in Genesis uh, Romans 15.8. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision because of the faithfulness of God in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. Now the term Gentiles is the word ethnos and it is used in contrast to the Jews and thus refers to all those individuals who are not of Jewish racial descent and thus not members of the covenant people of God, Israel. Abraham's the first Jew then he had Isaac. Then he had Jacob. Twelve sons came from Jacob, um, whose name was changed to Israel. And then from them came the nation of Israel. And so everybody else is a Gentile. So Abraham was the... Before, prior to Abraham, well, everybody was a Gentile. The, Abraham became the first Jew. Now, he says to glorify, in verse 9, he says, And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Glorify there is the word thoksazo, and it's in the infinitive form. It's an aris active infinitive form. The aris tense is important. This word means to glorify. On what sense? Well, I've told you in the past that some context to glorify God is, as it, as it says in Romans fifteen seven, to glorify God, to bring glory to God. And that context is operating in love, manifesting to your conduct the love of God. Here it's different. He's using this uh, word glorify in a different sense of the Gentiles worshiping the Father. As expressed through adoring praise Honor, recognition And worshipful thanksgiving Because they were declared justified Through faith in Christ Now the word functions as an infinitive of purpose That indicates that Jesus Christ Is serving the Jews Because of God's faithfulness Not only to fulfill the promises That he gave to the patriarchs of Israel But also that the Gentiles May glorify the Father Because of his mercy The aris tense of the verb As I said before is important It's a constitutive aris describing in summary fashion the period of time in which the Gentiles are being saved through faith in Christ and thus glorifying the Father for his mercy. This period began in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. The Gentiles at that time, were the, that's the first time recorded, the Gentiles receiving the baptism of the Spirit. So the, the, the period of time in which the Gentiles were glorifying uh, as a corporate unit the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father began in Acts chapter 10 with the conversion of Cornelius, who was a military man, by the way, and his family, who became the first Gentile family to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as the Jews did on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. When will this period go to? This period will extend through the church age and continue to the end of human history. In fact, you could actually say it goes to the rest of eternity because we'll be praising God, for us Gentile believers, for the rest of eternity. Now, God here refers in context to the Father. One, one way we know that is because of the words in the articular construction, which signifies the first member of the Trinity, unless otherwise indicated by the context. But the article also in the Greek, also in, is anaphoric, we call it. Anaphoric means that the article is telling us that the word it's attached to, theos here, God, was used in the previous verse. So this articular construction is indicating that the word was used in Romans fifteen eight the word for God. And its meaning in that verse, in verse 8, is being retained here in verse 9. So in Romans fifteen eight the word Theos meant the Father. And we know that because Christ fulfilled the Father's plan to provide salvation for both Jew and Gentile and fulfill the promises to the patriarchs of Israel so that the Gentiles would glorify the Father for his mercy. For his mercy has a little bit explaining to do. It's kind of difficult. We've seen it uh, in Romans 9.23 and we saw it in Romans 11.31. Uh, the word for mercy here is aleos. And aleos is the object of the preposition here, eper, which is translated for. In, in Romans 9.23, on the board, my translation of this verse, uh, this word, al- uh, alos, uh let me back it up here, this word, eleos, uh, which uh, translated mercy in your Bibles, was used in Romans 9.23 and I translated in that verse and I'll tell you why in a minute, the objects of grace. In Romans 9.23, my translation, and we agree that he has done so in order to make known publicly and explicitly his infinite glory upon vessels destined, destined to be the objects of grace. That's us. Which he prepared in advance for glory. Now, uh, this word, in this passage, laos, speaks of God's grace from the perspective that it's a reflection of his character and nature which was expressed through the spiritual and physical deaths of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the gospel by extending compassion to sinners and offering them the forgiveness of their sins through faith in Christ. Now, the reason why the word, should be, I believe, should be translated grace, it's a very difficult word because the word uh, that it translates, the Hebrew word that it translates in the Septuagint, is a very difficult word to translate. Now, by far the most common Hebrew term... For which laos is equivalent in the Septuagint. Remember, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. That that word laos is used in the Septuagint to translate a word kased, the Hebrew word kased, which is can mean grace. I think some Bibles it's called it, they translate it loyal love. I think the NET Bible does that. Grace love. Some people translate it loving kindness. I think the New American Standard and a lot of those uh, uh, translations uh, translate it that way or just mercy, the word is very, said there, in the Hebrew though, means grace, so that's why I say, eleos here means, uh, uh, grace here in Romans uh, fifteen nine because that's the way, it was used to translate a word in the Hebrew, that meant grace, therefore we can see that the noun, eleos, is related to God's grace policy, which would include, God being merciful of course, the other Greek New Testament word for grace, is charis, and that is, speaks of God's grace policy from a different perspective. It speaks of God's grace from the perspective that it's His unmerited f- uh, favor. On the other hand, this word, laos, translated mercy in your Bibles, speaks of God's grace from a different perspective, that it's a reflection of His character and nature. And where did God express His character and nature? Through the spiritual and physical deaths of Christ on the cross. And God express, expresses His character and nature through the message that we give to unbelievers, the gospel. That's how The gospel extends compassion to sinners and offers them the forgiveness of their sins. Now, in Romans 11.31, we see this word elios again, where it means grace obtained. And there it speaks of God's grace from the perspective that it's obtained or appropriated by the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. On the board, my translation, so in the same way, they also have now been unbelieving in order that, because of the grace you obtained, you Gentiles, they, the Jews, them, they themselves would now also obtain grace. So in Romans fifteen eight, the noun laos, translated mercy in your Bibles, is actually speaking of God's grace, but from the perspective that it's a reflection of His character and nature. So, and this is, we know it's speaking uh, sp- uh, used this way because this is, as I showed you earlier, how Paul used the word in Romans nine twenty three. And Romans eleven thirty one, and there's nothing in the context here in Romans fifteen eight uh, or nine that indicates that the usage has changed. Now this word again, laos, it's translated mercy in your Bibles speaks of God's grace from the perspective that it's a reflection of His character and nature. Listen to me, God as to His person has divine attributes. His lo- He's love, He's ver- veracity, truth. He is His uh, sovereign. He is also omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. He is all those things. Now, and his eternal life, all these attributes help to compose his divine essence. And we see that the, the unification of all those attributes, all those attributes together, all the all, some people call these attributes perfection, some theologians, all these things combine to form the person of God. And we know that God is a trinity, three persons one divine essence. They all have the same nature yet they are all three different persons. So we see that when God wants to express himself, when he wants to express that holiness see the absolute perfection of all his attributes are called his holiness. Now, that holiness when it expresses itself is grace. So God is... We're the instruments that God is using. When we get the gospel message out whether it's through the website or personal evangel- one-on-one evangelization Passing out a, a, a book to somebody or a tract to somebody Telling somebody about the teacher, inviting them to Bible class Giving them the gospel that they can get saved through faith alone and Christ alone and see the, Receive the forgiveness of their sins We're actually being used by God to express His character and nature And in particular, grace Grace is God's unmerited favor he gives us blessings through the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. These blessings are unmerited. We don't deserve it. And God's grace is also a reflection of his character and his nature. So this is who God is. So, in Romans fifteen eight, this noun, laos functions as the object of the preposition eper, which is translated uh, in your Bibles in verse 9, 4, for his mercy, and it, this word Elios functions as the object of the preposition E-pair which the preposition there E-pair functions as a marker of cause or reason indicating that the Gentiles glorify the Father because of His grace policy towards them so when they translate it and for verse 9 and for the Gentiles to glorify God now to, to denote the causal aspect of this word E-pair they translate it for that's good I like to be more explicit because of so And for the Gentiles to glorify God because of his grace. So we could say his grace policy. Now, the Father's grace policy towards the Gentiles, us, was manifested by his compassion and sending his son to the cross and offering them the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. Now, if you go back in the Gospels, this is what Jesus was trying to teach his apostles. All Jewish, all had a bigotry towards the Gentiles. When they went to Samaria... The woman at the well. Hey, first of all, Rabbi never talked to a woman. The rabbis used to walk on the other side of the street when the woman came down. Especially a Gentile woman. So, to him to talk to a Samaritan woman and the Samaritans had no no dealings with the Jews and vice versa. There was a great big cultural battle there all over the temple back in Old Testament history. So, Samaria, uh, nobody talked to... The Samaritans didn't talk to the Jews and the Jews didn't talk to the Samaritans. Here's Jesus walking through town. He's talking to a woman. That was radical. That was talked about. And second of all, he was talking to somebody who wasn't part of the covenant people of God. He talked to Gentiles. He actually praised Gentiles who believed in him. Remember the the centurion who asked that Jesus would uh, heal his servant? But don't bother Jesus. Don't come to see him. You don't have to go there on purpose. Just say the word right now, and I know he'll be healed. And he turned to the... He said to everybody, I've never seen such faith in all the house of Israel. And what got Jesus excited was somebody having faith in him. It was a Gentile. So Jesus, obviously the son of God, the eternal word of God himself, obviously knew that God's plan, his plan, was, Father's plan was that salvation's coming to the Gentiles. So Jesus had to deal with this racial bigotry among his own disciples because his disciples were brought up under Pharisaical teaching. And the Pharisees, you know, a lot of people don't understand. The Pharisees... They, you know, they were actually came out of the whole... They actually had a good intention when they first started because they were very responsible in their early days to maintaining the Jewish heritage and maintaining Jewish nationalism, maintaining respect for the law and the temple sacrifices. However, it became legalism and it became oppressive, their leadership. And also, they were... Because they were trying to uh, separate themselves... ...from the Gentiles... ...actually their name is derived from... uh, uh, ...their name etymologically... ...is talking about separation from the Gentiles... ...the Pharisees were trying... ...in their attempt to maintain... ...Jewish nationalism and respect for the law... ...and the temple services... ...they actually went too far... ...so that they would have no dealings with the Gentiles... ...so they totally... ...went too far... ...and they were not able to communicate to the Gentiles... ...this message of salvation... And they didn't know it anyways because they thought it was through faith and uh, 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 obedience to the law. So Jesus is under, up against it because he has to deal with this racial bigotry among his own disciples and he was teaching them. If you go and read the Gospels again, you could see that Jesus was trying to teach them, I want you to go to the Gentiles. First go to the house of Israel, but then you go into the Gentiles. He had to tell, he had to tell in Acts chapter 10, he had to tell Peter, remember that vision we read about? couple of weeks ago? Peter, it's all right to go into a Gentile's house. And he went into a Gentile's house. Why would he have hesitated? If God didn't give him the vision, he would have never gone into the Gentile's house. God says it's all right to go to a Gentile's house, because I want you to give you the gospel. Because see, I'm making I'm see Peter, you don't get it yet, but I'm making a new humanity, as Paul told us in Ephesians two, where Jew and Gentile believers will worship me. That's my plan back from the Old Testament to Abraham. In you, Abraham, all the nations, the Gentiles will be blessed through your seed, Jesus Christ, faith in him. This is the plan of God. And just think about it. It's so exciting to know that. What's the implications? Well, in Romans 15, the implication is the Jewish believers, who were, primarily, who were the weak primarily, are not to be arrogant to the Gentile believers because they don't have the same convictions as them and vice versa, the Gentiles can't be uh, uh, have an attitude toward the Jewish believers who are the, the weak because their salvation is of the Jews. Their salvation is based upon the promises to the patriarchs of Israel. So therefore, accept one another because Christ has accepted you and I've explained to you why in Romans 15, 8 and 9. But the other picture for us, the other implication is that Paul's attitude, which he's going to develop further as we go into chapter 15, is that we're to, is, Paul's attitude was to get the gospel out. Because that's what God's trying to do in the world. That's what God's doing. What more exciting thing could you do in life? Watch the Red Sox? They suck right now. Okay, The Patriots, the Celtics, well, the Celtics are doing good. But I don't even care. After, uh, to me, to know this and to be a, have the privilege to be a part of a ministry... That's trying to get the gospel out And I say I'm just a part of it Because I can't do this alone I can't do this without Trent I can't do this without you guys over here I can't do it without Garrett I can't do it without Jeannie I can't do it without the McKinneys I can't do it uh, without my deacons I can't do it without the Thompsons I can't, we're all, we're part of a team There's no superstar I'm just part of the, that's my role Just happen to be the communicator of the word of God But that, we're all, this is a thing that God has given us to do it's fantastic. We get these orders that come from people all around, you know, for the books and the you know Alex and John with the books. They're, I don't know, if, I don't know if they even know the impact they're making with these books because these people are getting from all over Africa and they're and they're clamoring for the next book too, and they they like the, they love these books. They're people from Africa, from Philippines, all over the place. It's like what a great honor and a privilege to to be to be able to help people to give them the gospel, to help them in their walk with God, and evangelize, help them evangelize. It's just amazing. Especially with a website, with 24-7, you could reach all around the globe. Paul had to travel miles to reach somebody. Now that doesn't, the internet doesn't replace face-to-face evangelism. But gee, my gosh, what a wonderful thing. And the gospel's not related just to the unsaved, but it's also, as we'll see when we get further in chapter 15, it's related to believers too. The gospel, the good news that you've been delivered, and ex- can, you can experience that deliverance through what? Appropriating by faith your position in Christ. Appropriating the power of the Spirit. The gospel has been presented to us in Romans one sixteen all the way up to Romans 15.13. That's God, Paul's presentation of the gospel. And he's not just addressing unsaved, how they get saved, but he's also the Gospels related to the believers and how they can experience their deliverance, their sanctification now in time by appropriating what he taught us in this epistle. So the Father's grace policy towards the Gentiles was manifested by his compassion in sending his son to the cross and offering them the forgiveness of sins through faith in his son. So to summarize thus far, our study of Romans 15, verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, Paul presents the first of two purposes, for Christ becoming a servant to the Jews. Namely, it was because of the Father's faithfulness in order to fulfill the Father's promises to the patriarchs. In verse 9, he presents the second purpose was for for Christ uh, serving the Jews. Namely, that the Gentiles would glorify the Father because of his mercy, or we could say his grace. And this second purpose is a direct consequence or result of Christ, Christ fulfilling the first purpose. What was the first purpose? Fulfilling the promises to the patriarchs. The promises of the patriarchs included blessings for the Gentiles through faith in Christ. So what a fantastic passage that we have going on here. We'll continue this uh, tomorrow evening by noting the quotation from the Old Testament in the second half of verse 9. So, we ran out of time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this message would encourage, rebuke, instruct in righteousness the body of Christ who listens to this. And we pray, Father, that it would touch their hearts and you would speak to their souls, their heart, their human spirit about the things that we've been noting here this evening. And we pray, Father, that we just thank you, Father, for gracing us out as Gentile believers and including us in the plan and that we can praise you and your son Jesus Christ and render thanksgiving and worship to you Father and we just thank you for also revealing this plan to us that we could be a part of a gospel ministry that gets the word of God out not only to the unsaved but also to the saved and we thank you for the assets and the people that you raised up that are being actively participating, participating in this great, great work the greatest work that any human being could be given the greatest work that any man or woman could or a child could be given. It's just amazing what you've done for us in and through us, Father. And so we lift up and praise you and magnify you and your son. We pray also that you would give us traveling mercies on the way home and uh, for those of us in the chapel. And we also pray, Father, that you would also also, uh, uh, empower the fellowship after service. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.